Alright, welcome back everybody. Uh, we're here again. We're sorry for the delay between episodes. Sometimes we're not great at this. <laughs> um, but we're very excited today. Uh, we have a very special guest with us. I'm sure tons of you already uh, know him, but uh, this man is an archivist at Vinegar Syndrome and he's also currently the director of operations at OCN Distribution. Um, so he is one of the people responsible for all of the incredible stuff that's been blowing your brain apart, you know, in the last uh, couple of years. So, uh, you know, without further ado, welcome Justin Liberty. Thank you for joining us. Yep. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we are very excited. Um, so first up, we're just going to do our, uh, how we usually start things and just climb into some news items of Hollywood. I loved the uh, I loved Tiffany Haddish talking about how much she loved how mean Paul Schrader was <laughs> and uh, working on his new film. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, she said basically they started they started doing takes and he just kept saying, no, 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 no stop singing. You're fucking singing. Quit being a comedian. <laughs> and she was like, I'm not singing. And they just started arguing, going back and forth. And then finally, she said it clicked and I realized he was right that I was singing all of my dialogue, but she loved it. And she said she's a huge Schrader fan. So she was really pumped to get to do it. But I just, yeah, I just love the fact that she, uh, that she was down, you know, and since she's a fan, I'm sure she expected it to be intense to work with him anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious. I still haven't seen it yet, but um, I'm definitely no, I'm curious how Haddish fits into the Schrader or whatever. <laughs> um, I do wonder though, do you think this, the card counter was inspired by his uh, being kicked out of the online poker group on Facebook? <laughs> like he just felt like he couldn't log in anymore. And he was like, well, shit, I've just, I just read something about Abu Ghraib and I, I can't play poker anymore. I, I got a movie. Uh, who knows? I'm glad he's back though. I will say uh, one of the few things I always check on Facebook is Paul Schrader updates because it's always fun. <laughs> yeah, they, they released him. He can he can yep. now post about women's legs. And... <laughs> have you seen Card Counter yet, uh, Justin? I have, yes. Oh, what do you, how did, how, did, uh, how did Tiffany Haddish do ultimately? What do you think? <laughs> she's good. I mean, you know, she's not in it a ton. I, I thought she was going to be in it a lot more than she is. It's really, huh. it's Oscar Isaac's movie, which... Yep. isn't surprising i mean paul schrader's kind of got a history of, of leading men so i guess it was always going to be like a pretty masculine movie but yeah. i mean she's she's cool she has like a really great screen presence i'm, I'm already like a fan of hers i think she's really funny so it yeah. was nice seeing her do something that was straight that wasn't you know intended for laughs and i think she's good she has like a lot of charisma and her wardrobe in it's great so yeah i was i was en entranced Oh, hell yeah. I want to see, I, I hope it, uh, you know, opens up the world of movies for her and she can do more, not just comedy roles. So I love her also, but I'm always excited to see, you know, when people expand. Well, hopefully Schrader didn't squash her uh, singing voice. Uh, she's got <laughs> she a comedy anymore after working. With yeah, she's, <laughs> she's got to work with Young Thug on a musical now. So I'm very excited about that um okay. we have one other schrader oh that's right yeah he's uh he's jockeying for a marvel movie 
Well, he said the, the headline is Paul Schrader thinks Marvel films as well as cat videos on YouTube are all cinema. <laughs> cool. How do, how do we feel about that? That was, brave. that was brave of Paul to come out and say that. <laughs> oh, I wonder if Marty will stop sending him cute presents then that he can post on his Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, Paul Schrader loves to, he really loves to act a cut up. So I guess, you know, for one, I don't, yeah, I, I don't care. I think he wants Eternals too. I think that's what he's <laughs> for. Speaking of that, and I know we try to stay away from Marvel shit, doing Captain Marvel too, I just saw the latest of Nia DaCosta, Candyman. Before I have it, share my thoughts on Candyman, Justin, did you see Candyman? I did not yet. I do want to. Okay. Yep, that's where I'm at too. It's just you, John. We'll leave that for another one then, since you guys haven't seen it. But you know, I, um, I can't let you spoil it. <laughs> just, let me just say, it's made by someone who has never been to the city of Chicago except to shoot this movie. <laughs> uh, you know, Cabrini Green obviously figures into the first one a lot, and it figures into this one. This isn't a spoiler. This is in the trailer, but uh, I think there's one shot. <laughs> of Caprini Green in the entire movie. Did they, did they shoot it in Chicago? They shot it in Chicago, and I'm mad because I was a background extra in a scene that took place at the Rainbow Club. So, Wait, fuck you, you Nia DaCosta, for cutting my scene. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I was in it. That's the truth, then. You don't dislike the movie. You're just mad you're not in it. <laughs> I, was, I was holding a beer by the photo booth. <laughs> I looked good. But your big, your big break ruined. Yeah, it was. But well, we can save the Candyman takedown for another time. Then what else? <laughs> I just, I did. You know what? Here, I have a positive thing to say about a genre movie. I just saw. I just watched Malignant the other night. Oh, I haven't seen that yet either. Justin. Yeah, I, I liked it more than I thought I would. <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah, it's. I heard it, one of my friends texted me and said. Uh, you've been bothering me for years to watch all of Frank Henenlotter's movies. I finally did, and I didn't know the timing was so perfect because I saw Malignant, and that's clearly what it's from. Again, I have not seen it. Do you guys agree with that, that there's some Henenlotter blood in this? Yeah, I mean, to an extent, but I don't know. I think there's just so much blood from everything else that it's just kind of like a, a you put a bunch of stuff in a blender and it came out to a 40-something million dollar studio movie that shouldn't exist. <laughs> always here for that yeah he's name checked argento a lot i don't i didn't really get the the argento yeah vibes. i don't maybe like a, i don't know everybody's going on about it being a giallo but i don't see it i didn't get the giallo thing i, I was excited thinking we were going to get something that would be like a modern giallo but it wasn't that i guess it's maybe closer to like late late argento maybe because i mean i thought about stendhal syndrome a little bit but um, okay. i don't know uh well well never mind then we just won't <laughs> we won't talk about movies because you haven't seen them um i'm too broke to go see fucking movies unless they play at the music box <laughs> well hey maybe you'll get maybe you'll get i know you're not necessarily the biggest fan normally but maybe you know people have said that Edgar Wright's new one is a bit of a giallo too, but then I've also heard that it's more of a ghost story and not a giallo. So maybe it's all just people using that to jump on a craze. I don't know. 
I don't think anyone knows what cello is. <laughs> it's all these people who who still will try to, you know, convince you that Suspiria is giallo. So <laughs> and it is, well. <laughs> the first and last giallo movie, Suspiria. So we've had a couple of episodes that have ended up in the trash can because we've lost computers and uh, nearly our minds so i'm looking through the just kind of more of the stuff we missed i'm just going to do a quick little lightning round coming to uh chicago you can now live the office experience from the show you can be just like jim or you can be just like pam and you can go to an old escape room that is not an escape room anymore where they have made it look like the office from the office and you can sit at Dwight's desk. I, I don't know. I just thought that was just mental, but. Um, <laughs> that sounds uh, like purgatory more than a, a positive thing for me. Yes. Uh, let's see. This is kind of nice. Francis Coppola might make Megalopolis. Yeah. What do we think? Will that happen or will it not? No. <laughs> that's a, that's where I'm kind of at too. <laughs> He's he's selling he's he's sold part of his vineyards. He's using the money, but he doesn't have enough yet. I, mean, I don't even know if we want it. I mean, the last time Coppola had like a passion project was Twixt, and that was there. <laughs> so, like, I don't know if I want it. Yeah, yeah, we might have. Did a anyone, did any anyone amongst us? Uh, I don't know if get to experience is the right terminology, but did anyone experience the the like tour? of Twixt with him live editing. Yeah, I saw it. I was at San Diego Comic-Con when they like unveiled it. And we had to wear 3D glasses that were like a cutout of Poe's face. It was insane. <laughs> and, like it, did, it didn't work. Like when he was editing it, like it didn't work. So nothing made any sense. <laughs> it's probably one of the best theatrical experiences I've ever had, but it was also yeah. like, I can't even imagine being like in the booth or something for that. It would have been a nightmare. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and Twixt. What about Clint? I got a I got a very distracting text message. We run a tight ship here. Um, let's see. Oh, I uh, we've been teasing this, and I know Will's excited. Um, I, I have bought a full paid year subscription to the Jeremy Piven podcast, "How You Live in J Piven." Um, the theme song rocks. I will cut it in. It's. <laughs> You haven't even heard this yet, Will. I, I didn't play. I was gonna send it to you. You understand just how we live it. This for me is like rap religion. Open on because we got this guy. When it comes to this, y'all, I can get it high. When it comes to this, y'all, come as risen. How you living, huh? Yo, how you living, pivot? Um, so just you know a quick little what what i took from listening to one episode of uh, jeremy piven podcast uh he does ads for nicotine gum pube trimmers baldness cures and wine and he does that right at the top of the show so you have to wait quite a while oh yeah skipped the first one because it's just jamie fox and I, I don't know listening to jamie fox talk it's just just they're tough well he's jamie fox is talking about he tells a story about how he's not gay uh, what and All it right. goes on forever <laughs> uh, about how someone thought he was gay but he's not gay and he made it he makes it very clear and it's great because jeremy piven doesn't do anything except go mm. Mm. 
Mm, the whole episode. Wow. So I skipped that one. And then I went to the one that I just saw Ari Gold in the title. Um, he starts off by saying all roads led to this podcast. <laughs> he tells a story about interviewing Mark Cuban um, and how Cuban felt regret that he didn't invest in Uber. So Piven goes, that's what it's all about. Even guys like Cuban make mistakes. That's what this podcast is all about. I don't know if he's talking about the mistakes he made in his personal life, but uh, maybe he, he goes to great lengths to distance himself from certain allegations. Um, he repeats, I counted 24 times that he is not actually Ari Gold. He, he brings that up through the whole fucking thing that he is not actually Ari Gold. He can't wait to talk about it. Anytime someone says anything, he compares himself to the Eagles quarterback, Russell Wilson, which is awesome. I'll trust you. <laughs> he praises the writing of Doug Ellen extensively. And finally, uh, he says, people come at the Ari Gold character for being a gigantic douchebag. But he was, he was good to his clients and monogamous with his wife. Settled. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I've, sadly, I've seen all episodes of Entourage when I was younger. And I do not recall him being monogamous to his wife. But, hey, Ari Gold is a feeling and you can have it be whatever you want it to be. And Jesus Christ. Yeah. And he, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then he just, I, I shut it off. This I'm glad you, I'm glad you've done this because I never will. So glad you're, you're doing this, Jay Piven, Chicago's finest human. You think uh, you're, you think you're like listening to a skit in a rap album at several points because like <laughs> you hear him like lighting something that would like suggest like a blunt, but it's like clearly him lighting like a cigar. And just like, you can hear it just that little slow burn of the cigar. Okay, yeah, that was all I had on, on Jay Piven. How, how you live in Jay Piven? Oh, I can't believe you fucking paid for that. All right. Oh, I didn't, I didn't pay for it, it's free, so. Oh, okay, that's good. <laughs> but I'd like to think about what it would, what I would get if I were a gold member on the How You Live in Jay Piven Patreon, but. You just get his cigar stubs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's see, moving on, uh, we also have, oh, we're sitting, we're only a, a day away from uh, a new Clint Eastwood movie in the world. Yes. How, how do we, how do we feel about that? Are you, are you a fan of the late, this late stage Eastwood directing movies, Justin? Um, yes and no. Um, I really liked, um, the fuck? Uh, Richard Jewell I really liked Richard yeah. Jewell yeah I feel like I was in the minority but I did really like it but you know I think it's there's a lot of hits and misses in there I couldn't stand Sully so there's you know, every once in a while there's one I like really hate but um I thought Richard Jewell was great I think it's like the best thing he's done in a long time and I'm excited for Cry Macho I'm excited to see him doing something like western adjacent again but reviews are not kind so I guess we'll we'll see how it goes yep yeah, I mean, well, I was, I was a fan of the Mule, so no one liked the Mule, so I, I liked the Mule. Yeah, okay, I liked good, the Mule good. a lot. Yeah, I thought the, the Mule was so good. Yeah, yeah. That gives me hope for the with the with the negative Cremacho stuff too, because that's how it felt with that one too. And then I saw it, and I was like, "Come on." <laughs> yeah, well, people are pretty negative. I feel like with Richard Jewell too. You know, I think there's a lot of people quick to be like, 
this is a conservative wet dream before like you know they'd even seen the movie mm -hmm. and obviously the movie is a little bit different than i think what everyone thought it was going to be this like big maga movie but do you remember any of this when there was like all this scuttlebutt surrounding like richard jewell before it came out oh yeah oh yes well people love to do that with eastwood anyway ever ever since the you know the infamous uh talking to no one in a chair thing can't wait to see that resurface throughout the week Hey, that's that's some fine performance art for my money. <laughs> I've watched it recently just to see how it held up, and uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's really not that bad. Like I don't, I mean, yeah, maybe dudes are conservative. I mean, the worst things to me the guys ever said is that we should vote for Mike Bloomberg. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna say we probably don't align politically, but honestly, the uh, the RNC speech really is like. It's like not that bad. I don't know. It's I, clearly we were in a different point in the world at that point, but it's just like sure. he's clear. I don't know. He just doesn't seem like he's really with it up there. And all they want him to do is say the dirty hairy line. And he's like, fine, I'll, I'll say it. <laughs> but cry macho. I mean, it seems like we're getting some honky tonk man vibes in there. Maybe a little perfect world. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm curious what what he'll do with it. I was revisiting some the other night and one uh, that I know is your favorite, Will, and that's why I had to rewatch it to be like, what the fuck is he talking about? Uh, Play Misty for me, his first movie. I do like Play Misty for me. I think it's wild you consider that his favorite, but you know what? That's the beauty of personal taste. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know me, I'm always, I'm very adamant when talking about when absolutes come up, you know, like favorite, and best are very different for me. Sure. You know, like if I'm saying something is someone's best movie, I'm gonna make an effort to, to bring, you know, objectivity is impossible, but to bring arguments into it to suggest, you know, and back up that, that claim. But Play Misty for me is just my favorite in my guts. <laughs> it's just, <clears throat> that movie slays for me across the board and we've talked about it a lot. He does this great little like goofy, very effeminate, jump in that movie yeah, yeah, right, yeah, before he, yeah right before he takes a seat and it just i don't know he seems like he's just having an absolute blast making that movie and i yeah, think yeah. that's what it is like i'm i don't know it's re it's really infectious and also i think it's terrifying in a fun way i think it's interesting and it's you know and it's gender play and all of that stuff i don't know i have, I have a great thing because yeah. you think women are crazy that's why that's yeah. you, you think women are out there to just drive us dudes mad. I mean, uh, the, the reality of that, though, is that I just the, the kind of woman presented in that movie is my kryptonite. That's the reality, too. I, I love I, yeah, I love to be manipulated. So, <laughs> well, he's clearly having a good time shooting that. He's like hanging out at like jazz festivals. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I mean, it made me rewatch Tightrope because I kept thinking about like, Wow, Clint came pretty close to making like American Giallos, which is pretty weird. I mean, I know he's not credited as the director of Tightrope, but he was, supposedly he did a lot of the directing of it. And it's it's got Joel Cox, his like main editor. It's got like his whole crew. It's a Mal Paso production. I mean, it's a, it's a Clint movie. But. <laughs> I love Tightrope. I think it doesn't get enough attention. Clint's doing cruising almost. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. The almost hetero version of 
of cruising. Although that great scene where the guy's like, how do you know you don't like it unless you try it? And he's like, how do you know I haven't? <laughs> and it's like, so <laughs> I see why you took your name off this, Clint. <laughs> yeah, it's the best plot ever. Uh, the horniest cop who can't get really the, the case solved because he keeps trying to fuck the suspects. It's great. I, and it's probably a very... Yeah, I'm not even saying this jokingly. I mean, I think it's probably a very personal movie mm-hmm. for Eastwood, especially because like, I mean, let's, I, dude, dude loves sex. And I think when he was younger, that, that motherfucker was all over the place. And it just starts so differently when you see him on screen. He's not really doing his normal cop thing. He's like, he's out there like getting a, like the dog from knocking over the trash with like his two daughters, one who's his actual daughter. And it just feels very like Clint on a normal morning, you know, dealing with the dog, the trash, his kids. And then throughout the day just gets progressively horny to the point where like, yeah, yeah. his work is deeply jeopardized. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) It's a great movie. That'll, That'll be the next series pitch. We try to do a music box as a series of films where people who get progressively hornier throughout the day and it ruins their life. Yeah. No one put them out there. Wait, Justin, you're all, Justin is also well known for incredibly well-researched lists on Letterboxd. Um, so Justin, can we task you with <laughs> making that list? Yeah. yeah. Just like the horny occupation list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or find somebody who just like can't stop. I mean, tightrope's the, there's nothing that's going to beat tightrope. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, tightrope's an incredible movie. I, I do wish that that movie got a little bit more love because, you know, it's like Clint is always seen as this one kind of guy, I think. But like, in his own way, the dude has been pretty experimental with genre in a very, you know, I think like he doesn't get enough credit that like he has attempted to do some pretty weird stuff. I mean, fifteen seventeen is still one of the weirdest experience i forgot about that (laughs) yeah and i I like to put it in sort of a trilogy with american sniper solely in that and maybe i can (laughs) convince you that solely is worth your time because i find solely to be hysterical i I think solely can't prove this but i'm gonna bet this was his intention that solely is kind of the like light counterpoint to american sniper that it's like the whole movie is essentially like, like American Sniper, like a guy on the phone being like, I don't know if I did something wrong. I don't know. And the wife being like, just come home, just come home. Except he's not like, you know, solely Solenberger, the, clearly the lamest person on this planet is not, you know, psychopath Chris Kyle. But it's like, it has this interesting like play between a lot of the like, set pieces and a lot of the dialogue and cross-cutting between two different time zones and it's like instead of Chris Kyle worrying that he's murdering civilians which he is doing uh you have this guy being like I don't know if I did I put the emergency brake in the right did I slot the right thing in the right thing before I landed it well I don't don't, maybe it won't convince you but I find it to be like (laughs) I mean, I find I like American Sniper a lot, and I think that's one of the most chilling movies I've ever seen in my life. So I think it's like it's really nice when you, th- you maybe toss Soli on right afterwards. God damn yeah. it! I'm gonna have to do it. I never want to experience American Sniper or Soli again, but now I'm gonna have to try this. Uh. I'm totally in the minority. I think American Sniper is like 
a fan a fantastic movie but i don't know i think a lot of things got caught in the uh you know in the political sphere at the time and this is something the dude's dealt with and he's been dealing with this since dirty harry you know everyone thought dirty harry was a you know basically a permission to go out and like shoot people that you think are like robbers and like i don't think that's what don siegel intended with the movie but it certainly plagued clint's career so much so that malpaso takes over the dirty harry franchise and magnum force is dirty harry going up against like crazy you know right super right-wing cops so they have to make him go against the cops and then you know you have the gauntlet which he's like not yeah. dirty harry but he's just a drunk and oh, i love that one <laughs> incredible, yeah and so like yeah i think he's you know he's dealt with this throughout his whole life and i think has always tried to like find ways of like playing off of his image and though he's not in american sniper i do see that as kind of a continuation because i don't know i've never felt like the movie is trying to um give permission or even praise the actions of what you see on the screen and i think it starts pretty disturbingly with the you know the dad telling his son that he should be a wolf and i know that gets like made fun of a lot but i don't think i think that was just the climate that we were in at the time i don't think that's clint being like you should be a wolf and you should go out there and fight people i don't believe that at all and i don't think that clint has made a pro-war movie ever i think the problem is that yeah, the Chris Kyle book, American Sniper, is a fascistic piece of shit with just, just like all lies. Again, I, I don't know if it's a, a biography of Chris Kyle or if it's a biography, kind of a reflection of post 9-11 of just a guy who believes he's, like most Clint Eastwood characters, been tasked with this duty to go over and do something, but then starts questioning himself the entire time. Like his brother in the movie who keeps saying, I'm going crazy. Like, this is the worst thing that we could be doing. We shouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Will. <laughs> you, you yeah, no, this is going to turn into a passion piece about fucking American Sniper. Whatever. God damn it. All right. <laughs> I don't want to make this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Justin, do you like American Sniper? No. Yeah. I don't know, John. No. I don't know, man. I will try this because I love you, you know, and because, I mean, you know me, I have to continuously rewatch things that I hate and confront that throughout my whole life that's part one of my one of my rules which is a stupid one i guess but i guess it's about time so i'll do fucking american sniper and sully when was the last time you saw american sniper let's see when it came out probably no no no. i watched it again i do a three-year cycle with things that like truly make me mad so i try to revisit every three years on stuff that like really you know like makes me see red that's why i watch like fucking paul haggis's crash you know every three years and oh well that's truly makes you see red that's like i I mean american sniper made me feel the same way that crash did (laughs) you can oh my god i will hit on this thing right now paul haggis is compared with clint good fucking god i'm not talking about the what you know filmmaking ability i'm talking about the movie that i watched both of them make me sweat and like want to peel my skin off so okay rewatch american sniper all right it's truly one of the most chilling movies I've ever seen that attempts to get into the mindset of a person like Chris Kyle. I, I don't think the movie is in any way an admonishment of him. And I think it's that movie just truly. I mean, yeah, maybe I'm seeing something that no one else has seen in it, but 
regardless, I come away from that movie chilled to the fucking bone of like a man who's just through whatever his way he was raised, which I think he comments a little bit on in 1517, leads him to be this complete fucking shell of a human who can't like communicate with his wife. He can't communicate with his children. He can't talk to anyone. He's just a he's just a, a man completely curdled on the inside who has the ability to shoot far, which over every time I rewatch it, it feels like nothing. That feat is nothing. Like the movie just like puts that in front of you, but it's deflated each time because it's like, who gives a who gives a shit? All right. I'll try. Listen, maybe I haven't convinced these two, but whoever the three people listening to this, uh, if you feel that way, go out and do the American sniper test right now. Or the American sniper challenge is what we're calling it. Oh. And uh, you go on social media and you immediately post your reaction to it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Either oh. way. Um, I just think a movie like that is important to keep in the context of Clint. And I think see it outside of like the like shit like Richard Jewell. You see it outside of the political brouhaha, the media kerfuffle that like, I mean, we were, we were at a very different time when American Sniper came out in this country. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Clint's intentions were, but if they were what you suggest, I think he failed. <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, the intentions were there. I, I'm not convinced. <laughs> Moving on, what else do we got? Oh, real quick, before we hop into what we really want to talk about, do we want to talk about the ed- the TV editor of IndieWire? Uh, yeah, this is fun. Just is going fun. off on Twitter about how... Uh, hot take. How, uh, that Nurse Ratchet is actually a hero and she's combating uh, rampant uh, masculinity. Did you, did you see this happening? I have no idea what this is. <laughs> Let me just get the specifics on this real quick. Okay, I don't know her name and I don't know. Whoever, <laughs> someone for IndieWire had maybe a little extra of the Keurig cappuccino that morning and just uh, started going off about how I just rewatched <laughs> One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I'm shocked that Nurse Ratchet is actually the hero of this movie. I mean, Wait, so I this was about the movie and not that like mini series. Yeah, that's what I thought too, but it's about the movie. About the movie. Yep. (laughs) Again, like American Sniper, I might have just read a little too much into it. (laughs) I think what's really going on here. That's the takeaway here is that American Sniper is secretly an anti-war movie and that uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest uh, is actually... the Patriarchy movie. Smash the Patriarchy movie. That's what we've learned. Uh (laughs) I mean, I'm going to have to rewatch. I certainly don't remember it that way with one flew over the cuckoo's nest you say that like you're gonna be convinced otherwise upon rewatching, and not that this is just some like mentally ill person like to be fair i've i've been that mentally ill person <laughs> going off about things like this before so i'm curious it's why i loved like not to bring it up and we're not going to get into it but not the new album don't need to talk about it but it's why i loved kanye west's last two albums because i will always be there to you know watch and study and understand someone's mental decline because i think it's very fascinating you know um and yeah can heavy relate so i'm gonna i'm gonna look up all of these tweets read them all and then rewatch one flow of the cuckoo's nest and see what happens if you really want to see kanye's mentalness you should listen to donda because that's uh, it's again you know what i'm in the minority here it isn't that bad. Everyone needs to chill the fuck out. Oh, it's, it's his best not album. that bad. It's like, it's, it's fine. 
Yeah, great. Yeah, the lyrics are corny as fuck. The music, though, really isn't that bad. The music we'll have it out sometime over beers, but I think it's definitely his best album. Interesting. Interesting. I have heard people have said that, yeah, I got past the like the stigma of like listening to it. And they're like, I actually loved it. And that's because I was like, I don't really want to listen to this. I don't I truly don't give a shit. It's my the one thing I'll say and then we'll move on. To me, that album is us being granted access to attending his mother's funeral. Yeah. That's what the album is. It's him mourning his mother finally because he's come out of this four-year stretch of a bipolar manic episode. He's mourning his mother's death. He's mourning the loss of Kim and he's mourning the loss of the old Kanye that can never come back. That's what I think. <laughs> that ain't coming back. <laughs> that guy is burnt. His... I mean, but the thing, it's just, suck. I don't, whatever. I don't want to talk about Kanye, but it just fucking sucks. Unless you want to jump in here. Let's not do this because we're going to get too excited. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't need to be 108 minutes long. <laughs> I'll say that I don't think it's that bad I think it's like there's some songs on there that are really good I still think like no matter what he's just trolling everyone like even if it is you know this like grandiose statement about like mourning or whatever it is like every step of it has been some kind of like dick move to, to fans or to the public or anything and even <laughs> you know now it's out and like the only version that's out is like the edited version Right. Which is hilarious. Like, I think that's actually one of the funniest things he's ever done. Yeah. So he finally put it out and it's censored. And there's like no way to get the uncensored version. There's no physical version. There's nothing out there except like a streaming censored version. And the cover art's just a black square. It's like, we'll always just be trolling. I love that. It's kind of funny. What better way to lead in to why we're here? Um, we're going to get to it. But before we talk about Adult films making their uh, way to Letterboxd service, all of you are familiar with. Um, Justin, I was just kind of curious about your journey, your career, because um, I first knew of you uh, when you were programming uh, for the Alamo Drafthouse Yonkers. Um, you know, just whether it, whether in those forums or listservs or all that different stuff or sharing print tours and all of that. Um, that's where I first heard of you, you know, was your work there, but, uh, you know, kind of just where did it all begin and how did you get to the point of vinegar syndrome and being an archivist and restoring, uh, all sorts of films, but in particular adult films? Um, I mean, I guess it started when I was a kid, you know, that's not really a, a career trajectory, but just being a kid and being like obsessed and, you know, reading like, I would read every year, I would get the, the new Leonard Malton guide and read it front to back like it was a novel. And I would just go through and like check off things I had seen. And I was starting doing this when I was like nine or 10 years old. So I was like a child. And I already had that kind of like obsession to a point of like having to write my own lists. So I would have notebooks and I would keep lists. And I think that's carried through and why I'm so like obsessed with list making kind mm -hmm. of in like a, a social media way now but yeah I mean that's kind of how it started I just became obsessive and like going through filmographies and lists and watching all the like AFI list movies and things like that as a kid like being obsessed with like canons and things kids weren't really obsessed with <laughs> it was like my friends all wanted to watch like you know whatever big movie was out like we'd go see Mortal Kombat or something and you know I'd be over I'd be back at home being like I need to watch the rest of the Francis Ford Coppola movies <laughs> who gives a shit and I kind of fell down like wormholes. Like I just became, you know, like 
when you're a kid, you kind of gravitate yourself towards like collections or something. Like some kids collect stamps or, you know, magic cards or Pokemon or like whatever it happens to be. And I just collected movies, both like physically and ephemerally. So, you know, of course I had like a VHS collection, which turned into a DVD collection and there was some laser discs, but those were cost prohibitive for pretty much every person who lived. And it's like laser disc was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but then there was, you know, the collecting movies kind of ephemerally and just like going to the local video store every week and the local library, libraries were like a huge thing for me growing up. And then going to the movie theater and just seeing pretty much everything I could and being like a sponge for movies. So that really started as I was a kid and I wasn't, you know, I, I was fortunate to grow up with parents who like were very encouraging and not, didn't shield me from anything. So I, I saw like everything at a young age, probably a far too young age. And I, I always joke about um, seeing Crash when I was 11, <laughs> David Cronenberg's Crash. Holy shit. Yep. <laughs> Being like, oh, hey, yeah. you know, How'd that connect with you? Did you really, did that really speak to you? <laughs> Yeah, not, not in a sexually awakening way. Luckily, I didn't get turned on by car crashes when I was like going through puberty. But you know, it was one of those things. It was one of those wormhole things where it was like, oh, I really loved The Fly. Like, I got to see this guy's new movies. And it was just like, oh, he made this movie called Crash. And, you know, like Siskel and Ebert reviewed it. And I got to see this thing. And like, my mom couldn't take me to see it in the theater. So as soon as the VHS was out, it was like, let's go get that VHS tape. <laughs> like the weird kid at the the local video store being like i need crash i'm looking there's no more copies on the wall of crash yeah i mean I, we grew up i'm from new hampshire so you know we we had like small video stores blockbuster didn't come in until you know probably like the later 90s and just kind of like grew up in the video stores like video store in the library and local multiplex and that just kind of carried through high school i got a job at that local video store and i got a job at that local multiplex and then just kind of led into you know film school and from film school to archive school so i went to i went to grad school to be a film archivist and then that just kind of led me around i was a, a projectionist for a long time for like over a decade so spent a long time in booths um I ran a movie theater, like a one one screen movie theater in New Hampshire while I was going through college. And that turned into like kind of a love of programming and just sort of like theater operations. And even from that, you know, just in like handling film in, in that capacity, like as a projectionist and also as like a programmer and like trying to track down prints, that made me want to go into like film archiving and kind of keeping, you know, film alive as much as I could. And then eventually, you know, that, that led me more to like film programming and film projecting. And ultimately all of that led me to, to vinegar syndrome, which was a really exciting kind of career transition. But, you know, it's, I had been at Alamo for a few years. I was really excited with the audience I built in Yonkers, which I think was a really great audience for, you know, a, a small city outside of a major city. So of course the, the local kind of film culture was very much you know, built up around what's happening in New York City. And even though that's accessible to Westchester County, it's like right outside of New York City, even though that's accessible, it's like a giant pain in the ass to get here. You want to go see a nine o'clock movie at, you know, Film Forum or Nighthawk or something. It's like, okay, well, that's a two hour commitment or an hour and a half commitment because, you know, traffic sucks, subways suck. Like, there's no easy way to do door to door. Like, you're going from the suburbs into a major metropolitan area. So it's like, why not build this here? Like, why can't we have this right outside the city? Why does the city get to have everything? And it was also a matter of just 
bridging that culture of, you know, not everything that's happening in the city is automatically good. <laughs> and not everything that's happening in the suburbs is automatically bad. And sometimes you can do things in a suburb that make people want to leave the city. And that's kind of the, the mantra I took to when I was programming was, what can I do to not only please the community I have here, that's like an awesome thing for them to have, what can I do that makes the city jealous? <laughs> it was like, and that's how you get, you know, I, I started doing like the devils on 35 millimeter and when the city wasn't getting it. And I did liquid sky on, on film with Slava in attendance. And like, I was building up these like amazing events that people were getting on the subway and like people without cars in Manhattan and Brooklyn were like hitching rides to come up. And it was like, I know I've done something right. When people are coming in and like half of the theater in Yonkers is people from like Brooklyn and Queens. And it's like, that's, we, we did it. Like, cause usually it's the opposite. It's people are leaving the suburbs to go to the city for whatever cool is happening there. So that was the idea. It was kind of, you know, like foster community, but also bring in people from the outside and especially like the cool people that live in the city. Mm -hmm. And eventually, you know, kind of doing that and like being around those films and what we were doing in, in regards to kind of the culture was the next step for me was getting more back into an archive, but also into the home video sector where I realized kind of what the, the shift that was happening that I was noticing kind of in, you know, the past, like, I'd say five, seven years or so, basically from like around the time I became a programmer at Alamo and going into, into now, I think that there's been a major shift in cinephilia from, you know, repertory screenings and cinemas, which are very much kind of confined to major cities and just the infrastructure that major cities have to offer and the populations that they do. And I've seen a lot of that shift go to home video. And I think a lot of that discovery that we kind of associate with like repertory cinema and just kind of cinephile culture and canon building and these ideas that spaces like, you know, um, Cinefamily or like Film Forum or Music Box, like all these places that we kind of hold dear as like kind of, um, what, what can you say, like, sacred you know sort of spaces these like houses of worship of like cinephilia it, it, it as much as we value those places they can't be the like be all end all of like how this culture moves forward and i think home video thanks to like boutique labels which you know vinegar syndrome being one of them but also a bunch of the others like severin mondo macabro and ones that aren't even you know like genre necessarily i think all of these kind of happening you know, at the same time that stuff is happening in theaters and especially like without theaters, when you look at the past couple of years with COVID, I think shows that, you know, home video is this like really important space for both film preservation, but also just for cultivating, you know, taste and keeping these these films a part of the conversation. So that's kind of why I went from, from programming to home video. And, hmm. you know, I think both, Theatrical exhibition and home video are, are facets of preservation, or at least, you know, kind of the end result of preservation. But um, home video to me right now is this like really kind of booming thing that I think makes what we do so much more accessible. I mean, I definitely wanted to bring it up. One of the things I really love uh, with vinegar syndrome, I mean, of course, you know, from day one, I remember when I was in, I was living in Denver at the time when vinegar syndrome started. And I remember when you know, my copy of the lost films of Herschel Gordon Lewis arrived. 
and I was losing my fucking mind, you know? And like, I remember that and, you know, so it's been incredible, uh, invaluable work from day one. Um, but I, the, <clears throat> your recent expansion with the partner labels, uh, has been something truly amazing, I will say, to witness in a world that I really tried to pull myself out of, which is that of social media and forums and all of this stuff, because it, you know, got so gnarly. <laughs> and so, you know, just so upsetting and dark. Your partner labels have brightened that world for me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's just been amazing to see these people who, um, and no judgment if it's, if it's the only bag you like, but these people who are, you know, typically, um, only looking for like you know whether it's like a really intense exploitation movie or a horror movie or whatever seeing these people talk about something like you know the wild boys from altered innocence or talk about yeah. ranch deluxe from fun city editions or you know any of any of these expands shiva baby from utopia like all of this it's been incredible uh and i don't know it's been wild to watch you all of you have entered center when the partner labels literally change the face of home video collecting right now. Um, it's kind of been blowing my mind. Like the <laughs> the the openness of people, uh, you know, because you guys built a brand that people trust and that people love. And when you slap your approval sticker on these things with the with the partner labels, I think it's really, really pushing things in a really positive direction. Um, and did you uh where where did where did that all start? Because there was, you know, there have been like different sub-label stuff with Vinter Syndrome through the through the years, whether it was Etiquette Pictures or you know Vinter Syndrome Archive and all that stuff. But where did the where did the idea for the partner label stuff, um, like leaning into it as hard as you are, where did that all start? So basically, you know, it kind of started with Agfa was the first one that came yeah. on, and that was you know a, a while ago now. And around then, you know, there was kind of this idea of like this becoming a thing, but I don't think there was ever an idea that it would become this big of a thing. So mm -hmm. it it started, you know, kind of small. It started with Agva, and then we had Utopia came on, which I was really excited about uh, with Bloody Nose Empty Pockets. And that was a release that I was like, you know, really excited about and kind of just bringing something in that Agfa is awesome, but they're also very on brand for Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah. And Utopia coming on with Bloody Nose Empty Pockets was like a really big kind of you know, I, I guess a risk to, to some extent of just, you know, this is very off-brand and where does something like this fall? Like, how do people approach something like this? Whereas, you know, we think it's a great movie. We think this is a good company. Where do people approach this in the context of like what we do? And mm -hmm. how do we show that there's this divide? You know, whereas something that I've kind of taken to with this, with my new position and with the partner labels in general, is trying to show that these aren't vinegar syndrome and it's it's a job that seems simple you know when you when you break it down but it's actually really hard because you know everything's on the vinegar syndrome website and the packaging is similar the quality is similar which is the idea is that everything's handled the same way mm -hmm. um but trying to explain that like fun city editions or utopia or agfa or any of these companies aren't run by vinegar syndrome it's like really difficult like these are all their own company you know these are all like they are all run by different people they're all their own like legal entities like we are not you know they are not being subsidized or anything by vinegar syndrome they are their own companies they're curating their own product like this is their thing 
And that was something that I really wanted to make clear. And I think it's it's an ongoing process, but you know, the, the partner labels becoming this big was something that I really wanted to do. And last year, you know, we started getting to that point and eventually got to the point where it was like, I kind of wanted to get out of the archive and do this. And it was like, this is something I was able to kind of bring, you know, my years of programming and just like networking experience and just the idea of like curating whatever we're doing. And for me, it was, it was almost like seeing through the mission I started at Alamo Yonkers, which was mixing the highbrow with the lowbrow and having each of those camps approach the other with like an interest and an empathy and going, you know, like I'm here for exploitation, I'm here for horror. And then being told, hey, you know, if you like that, you should really try this. And then seeing those people that are coming for like the horror movies and the action movies and whatever, you know, taking a risk on something like daisies, you know, they're going to be like, oh yeah, we should go and see this thing because he said it's really good. And like you build up that trust. And that's something you're always trying to do as a programmer is build up a trust in the community to take risks with you. And it goes both ways. It's not just getting the genre people to take a chance on the art house stuff. It's getting the, the art house people to take a chance on the genre stuff too. And being like these, both of these things have credibility and both of these things are entertaining. Like they're not, it's not like, one's more serious and should be taken more seriously or have more respect or clout than the other, they all should. Like, this is all things that are under one umbrella, you know, some kind of like blanket umbrella of cinema and we think it's great. And you can have like porn films, horror films, you know, family films, you can have everything exist all in tandem and be like, these are all worth your attention. And trying to say that, you know, only one genre or one like mode of, you know, filmmaking is important or like worth the dollars is something very foreign to me. And well, jumping off all of that, uh, you know, let's get into it. One of the biggest stigmas I'd say in the world of film culture is that of the adult film and considering it a legitimate and worthwhile uh, thing to explore. What do you, how do you approach, because I'm sure people want to talk to you about it, whether in your personal life or when you meet just random strangers out in the world, but how do you kind of approach uh, trying to get someone to take a chance if they're willing and to watch an adult movie as a real movie that you actually, you know, think about and talk about? I mean, it's the easiest way for me is pretty much, I approach it just as I would anything else, which I think is the best way to approach it, to make it like not weird is to approach it just, you know, if I want people to watch it like any other movie, I have to approach it like any other movie. So the way I'll deal with it is just kind of like, if somebody comes to me and it's like, where do I start? And it's just like, well, what do you like? You know, if somebody's like, well, I like comedies. It's like, watch Pretty Peaches or something. You know, if somebody's <laughs> like, I like horror movies, like watch Through the Looking Glass. You know, it's like, you find where people are at, like where they're most comfortable. Mm -hmm. And if somebody's, you know, like likes comedies or like romantic comedies or something, I'm not going to have them start with like corruption because it's going to fuck them up. <laughs> And then they're going to be like unhappy and they're not going to ever want to watch one of these again. Yeah. So you find like a happy meeting place. And I think that's the nice thing about, you know, that, that era of adult filmmaking is it was everything. It was like romantic comedies. It was dramas, like serious, like relationship dramas. It was horror movies. There were crime movies, like every genre is represented. So if you can find out what people are into, you can probably find an adult movie that will entertain them. And really at that point, all you're dealing with potentially is insecurities. And typically people are way more insecure publicly than they are personally. 
So I think if you lead them down that path of being like, this is what you might like, chances are they're going to watch it. <laughs> and like, you know, they might like it and they might not tell you they liked it or they might not, <laughs> you know, go and post about it or log it on Letterboxd or, you know, whatever, because, you know, there's, there's always going to be those insecurities. And to me, the, my fight isn't with anybody's hangups. It's with getting people to watch the movies. I don't really care what they do after they've watched it. If they like, you know, shout it from the rooftops or if they hide it in their drawer or something. But as long as they're watching it and people are like accessing these and, you know, actually treating them like they are cinema and not just like a dirty secret. Um, but yeah, ultimately that's kind of the way I approach it. Is I approach it like I would anything else. If somebody came to me and was just like, I like 70s horror movies, what other 70s horror movies should I watch? I'm going to give them a 70s horror movie. And if they come and they say, you know, I want an adult movie, but my favorite movie is like Miss Congeniality. I'm going to find something that, you know, fits the bill and isn't going to upset them. And also, you know, especially with a lot of the sex films and when you get into the 70s too, it's, you know, knowing your audience is really important because there's a lot of like sexual violence in there. There's, you know, with anything from the, from the 70s, you know, you're going to have like, race relations are handled differently, like gender relations are handled differently. Like there's all these things that could potentially be triggering too. So it's a matter of just being like, you know, approach it from the era it's from, you know, be aware of anything like in you that you should be aware of and just like enjoy what you're watching. You know, it's water power is not going to be for everyone, but there's something out there that is. And it's just, it's a matter of, you know, starting small. And I think that's, you know, one of the things I kind of hate is I see like, you know, there's kind of like this edgelord culture just in, in our world in general. And, you know, nothing like pisses me off more than, you know, seeing like a teenager in a forum that's like, I really like Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street. What should I watch next? And some dude's like Nightmare on a Damaged Brain. And it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, just like baby steps here. Like, there's no reason to just be like, hey, here's the most offensive thing I've ever seen. Like, go yeah. watch a Serbian film and troll someone. And it's, it's the same way with this stuff where I see people like, I want to start, you know, with adult films. Like, what should I watch? And someone's like, watch Sex Wish or like Porno Holocaust. And it's like... You know, this is why people don't want to watch this shit is because they are told like, go watch this thing that's like, you know, maybe obscene or like at least troubling to the vast majority of people. And then they watch it and they're like, this was troubling. I'm never watching one of these again. <laughs> and it's like, that's the opposite of what we want to do here. We want to make these things welcoming and provide a community and like, you know, yes, that stuff exists and it should be, you know, made aware that it exists and made available for people that want it. But that's not representative of like the spectrum of what we're dealing with. And it's the same for horror. It's the same for porn. It's the same for pretty much anything else. There's always going to be like a deep end. Yeah. And people yeah. need to like find their way to it like we did. I didn't start with that. Like, I mean, I watched Crash when I was 11, but you know, I didn't start with, <laughs> wasn't the first thing I watched. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> yeah you got you to gotta start somewhere. And I think that's kind of the big thing for me is just like meeting people on their level. Mm -hmm. Do you ever get anyone that's like, I love Captain Stabbing. Uh, I like Bang Bros. Because there's got to be people on the opposite end who are like, I just like busting. Yeah, I mean, there's people that want that. You know, it's, 
I mean, there's not, it's not the majority of people that talk to me. I think most of the people I talk to are not going to be like, you know, I'm, I'm watching Bang Bus this weekend. Do you have anything that like fits thematically? Like what, what do I put on? I've been it's through like, all of Mill Hunter. I need something new. <laughs> like you're getting bored with your, your clips, your gifts. Like, yeah. I, I mean, at the same time, it's like, yeah, I'm sure this stuff has like, you know, spank bank material in there like if you're looking for it but i i don't like i feel like these movies are so concerned with narrative and they're not like if you're accustomed to watching porn now you're used to these like fucking 30 minute sex scenes you know you watch like if you watch any of the stuff like you know vivid did in the 90s or like even the stuff that's happening now from like companies like new sensations or you know, a digital playground, like stuff like that. It's like you put on those DVDs and it's like every sex scene is like a half hour. It's fucking boring. Like it's, yeah. you know, I don't hate contemporary porn. A lot of people like, you know, kind of in like the, the porn scholar world or whatever, like don't really like it. There's some that I think is like genuinely good, but a lot of it is that. It's like these half hour long sex scenes that are really boring. And when you go back to the seventies or eighties, you realize how much economy there is there. And it's, you know, they're real movies. <laughs> they're 90 minute, yeah. you know, 100 minute movies or whatever. They don't have time for half hour sex scenes because the movies would be like three hours long, which is how long new feature length adult films are. And it's exhausting. Yeah. There's like, I don't want to watch that for three hours. The narrative is like barely there. You know, that the acting's relatively terrible. Um, yeah. And that's one thing you, you appreciate so much more when going back to these is like, they were actors. I mean, there's like legitimate acting in there. You watch something like Memories with Min Miss Aggie and like performance is oh. on par with like any other actress performance like from that year. And it's kind of incredible to watch. So yeah, I mean, there's people that want to watch these to get off and it's like, maybe you can, maybe that's like, you know, there's something to say for like, you know, couples watching these. I think it's like a good like entry point for, you know, sure. couples that kind of want to like, dabble in in porn without you know loading up Pornhub and being overwhelmed by like the categories and how like kind of raunchy some of it gets like maybe there's something like really you know rewarding there or something for for couples to enjoy together but as far as people that are like used to going on on Pornhub or watching these like digital playground films or something they're gonna go in and be like why the hell is that sexy in like a minute and 30 seconds right, <laughs> you right. know, and why was it shot like an actual movie and it was like artistically <laughs> shot and like the camera wasn't like that's the thing too is you know they're shooting these things on 35 millimeter the camera is not like a centimeter from penetration like it's right yeah. <laughs> they had to do like actual angles like these things were shot like an actual movie like there's a lens like it's not it's not a GoPro, like strapped to someone's head while they're going down on someone. Like it's not, <laughs> you don't have these kinds of shots. Like, yeah, I mean, it's explicit and you can tell what's happening, but it's just not the same. Like they, you know, it's, it's a little different. So I think people yeah. look, I think there's actually more of an, more of a, a tendency for people who want porn to be put off by these movies because they're not getting what they want than there are for people who like are anti-porn and then are surprised at how like, almost respectful they are yeah mm -hmm. i think of like kind of like how we grew up like with porn and sort of our approach to it and it made me think of this because you brought up the leonard malton guides i had another guide I, it wasn't leonard malton he, he wasn't this cool but he there was someone who po put like for each movie if there was like nudity it was like for parents to like you know, I need to make sure that this is that it. So I, I rented European Vacation so much 
because it had boobs and it was PG-13 and I could rent it. (laughs) But I grew up trying to seek out nudity as a growing boy that way. It was right at a section, like a cross point in like culture where there's that, you have these people, you know, there's generations who porn isn't readily available. You maybe have to steal porno mags, but you're not watching like physical people fucking on screen unless you sneak into like an adult video store, you get an adult movie and those huge VHS boxes. Um, But at the same time is like, I'm looking up shit like European Vacation, Kaza and LimeWire has now come into the world. And I'm sure when we were growing up, we all spent an entire day trying to download one porno that you had no idea what it was. And you're like, I hope this is good because if my mom gets home and stops the download, I'm going to have to start it all over. But that is, I mean, that's like, that is kind of what I think of the modern porn viewer. Like you're saying, the people who are, you know, they're watching 15 minute, 30 minute, you know, just straight hardcore clips. I almost wonder if like younger generations, I mean, I'm sure they can, but I'm sure it's not ingrained in them to appreciate like porn from the 70s or 80s that was shot with like, some of the grammatical blocks of like filmmaking. I will say I was I was uh, very pleasantly surprised. Of course, it was eighteen up, but we had when I when I showed when Equation to an Unknown was playing uh, with Knife Plus Heart. Uh, when I showed Equation to an Unknown for two nights at the Music Box, it was in the small theater, but it sold out both nights, which was great. But the amount of young people who came gave me a lot of hope for the world and how they reacted to it. They were really across the board and it was great because it was like, there were hetero couples. There were, um, you know, of course with that movie, there were more gay couples than there were hetero couples, but we had a spectrum and there were quite a few young people and they were just blown away and excited that something could exist like that. And that's been my experience with a lot of the Vinegar Syndrome stuff. Um, When I do show it to people, they're they're just blown away that it exists. Yeah, like, I had no idea this was a possibility for a sex film, you know. <laughs> That's yeah, you're right. That's probably more what it is. I'm not trying to be doom and gloom about the younger generations, but I oh, do no, think no. that like, yeah, you're we there's certain people have a different approach to like sex on camera. And like, are they watching this to just be titillated or are they just trying to like you know beat off before class you know what I mean it's just like there's a different way that like we've approached this in a culture um but that is a good thing that these movies are being made more available not that I'm like I think porn is a scourge that needs to be like wiped out but I'm saying that you know it's like no we're we're a sex positive we're a sex positive podcast sex work is real work (laughs) down with it you know of course I love it um but I you know it's cool to think that there might be people who could later, you know, like Bang Bros fans that discover something like All Ladies Do It and are like, well, that was that was a hot movie. It's not as hardcore as I thought, but that was a sexy movie. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I've been thinking about it lately, kind of like when in L.A. we did the highs and lows series and we double featured um, Billy Madison and the Phantom of Liberty. And uh, Billy Madison, you know, was first in this like hyper bro, like, you know, couldn't come up with a more stereotypical dude if I tried, came up to me after Billy Madison and, you know, he was like thanking us for showing it. 
his favorite movie. Thanks, man. <laughs> straight up. No, R.I.P. Norm, like, by the way, for bringing that up. Yeah. R.I.P. Uh, but uh, yeah, he just said to me, he was like, yo, man, uh, fucking, I was going to stay for the second movie, but somebody told me it's like, like, I have to read it. Like, is that true? And all I said to him was, I was like, you do have to read subtitles, but let me tell you, there are more poop jokes in The Phantom of Liberty than there are in Billy Madison. And he was like, okay, man, I'll fucking try it. Dude stayed for the whole thing and was like cackling, losing his mind. And afterwards was like, yo, is there anything else like this? And like, so this, this fucking hyper bro turned into like a fucking Louis Boonwell fan. And, you know, obviously not exactly the same thing, but that's, you know, that's where my head's at with this kind of stuff. I just think there's there's nothing good that comes from gatekeeping, even if it's like unintentional gatekeeping. You know, if you're just not releasing something because you're afraid of the result, that's still technically like a gatekeeper mentality. And in some regard that you're you're keeping it from people because you think they won't react the way you want them to, which is not good. I mean, it's one thing to, to gatekeep out of like elitism because you don't want to share because you're a douchebag. But there's another thing to, to gatekeep because you're just like people aren't ready or people won't get it or whatever. And that's stupid because like you'll you'll never know if you don't try and also it's not fair to the films or the people who made them like ultimately like the worst thing we can do for any of these movies or the people who like spent their like time and sweat to make them is to keep them under lock and key or to yeah. keep them in a film archive or to keep them stuck on like videotapes in someone's basement like making them available and like you know it's one thing to make them available and it's another to make them available on like 4k and whatever else you know we decide to do with <laughs> supplements like maybe there's an argument to be made that like sex world doesn't need to be in 4k and hdr <laughs> I, a, after after my second watch i disagree <laughs> I mean, it's, the, the uhd is beautiful and it's you know maybe there's an argument that like we're going a little bit above and beyond but i think it deserves it and like to me there's no reason that like Criterion should be able to put Citizen Kane on 4K UHD and be like praised around the world for it. And like, we can't be putting adult films from the seventies on the same format and also say yeah. it's as deserving. And also we beat Citizen Kane, so. And your covers don't suck as much as the Criterion <laughs> Kane cover. I've been on Reddit forums posting about how much I hate that cover. Oh, you're that guy. I'm, yeah, I'm just like, this is not the movie that Orson Welles had intended. <laughs> there's also no judgment you know like the last thing we want anybody to think too is like oh you're not cool because you don't watch porn it's like i don't care like as long as you're not telling other people not to watch it i don't care at all if you don't watch it and you know that's kind of one of the things that's come out around the letterbox thing that's like a little frustrating is the community at large has totally accepted it and there's people logging there's people making lists it's great and then there's these people who are just like, I can't believe this is on here. Like, this doesn't belong on here. Like, who would log porn? And it's like, go the other way and shut up. <laughs> like, it's not, yeah. it has nothing to do with you. You're clearly not the audience for it. Like, whatever, yeah. like log your stand-up comedy specials or something. Like, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm not gonna log yeah. like, Adam Sandler's stand-up. Fucking love Adam Sandler, I'm gonna watch it. But I'm not gonna log it. And like, <laughs> different strokes for different folks like i don't know like just logging a list of like here's 600 movies that feature a boat in it (laughs) i will say justin you you make great lists on on (laughs) on there and i i i normally am always making fun of letterbox lists but when i come across your list i'm like okay i'm making a note i'll jot that (laughs) down i'll check that one out that sounds kind of good (laughs) <laughs> i do uh i do have a list of uh pg-13 movies that have nudity in them so if you want to go back to being a child 
find that, that list of titles. Definitely check it out. One yeah. of the things you guys put out, Beastmaster, PG movie was nudity. Yeah. That was a big one for me. True. <laughs> That's true. Well, yeah, but hey, you uh, you know. Well, how did that how did all the how did all the shit with Letterboxd come about? Because I was I remember I used to get frustrated uh because I had just not dug into it, like what was happening, why like periodically I could log. <laughs> you know log porn or log one of the movies you guys released uh and then why it would disappear um you know i tr- i really wasn't aware of what was happening but where did where did where did that all start um and how did you get because from what i understand you were basically contract hired contracted to do this for letterboxd yeah so I've been on Letterboxd since 2012, which is kind of crazy. It's been almost a decade that I've been using yeah. that platform, but it's been a long time, like since I was in college or, or grad school, something like that. So yeah, it's been a long time that I've been on there. And for the most of that time, I've been lobbying them to add adult films. I've just been like, this is ridiculous that we can't log them. You know, it's, these are like an important part of film history. And it was never, you know, I, I never thought that it would get this big. I had never, when I started, it was like, you should at least get like deep throat, like behind the green door on here, like get like 20 movies or something that at least like <laughs> show you care about like film history, like get the ones that like broke down barriers or something. And it's like deep throat's a terrible movie, like, you know, for the record, the movie's garbage. Not good. But it's, it's extremely important. Yep. And, you know, it's like at least include like the ones that matter, you know, quote unquote matter. But, you know, there was resistance and like, I understand it. You know, I know kind of where they're coming from. And I know just like, you know, how apps work and app stores and search engines and all these things and how you kind of get flagged for, you know, the, the issue has never been Letterboxd. The issue has always been the internet and how people perceive porn, which is stupid. And that's, you know, the thing that was always going to be the hurdle was just how people approach this material and how like, advertisers approach it and credit card companies and you know app stores like all these things that's why like the the posters on the app the letterboxd app no matter what are always going to be blurred and it's like they aren't even you look at these posters for the most part like especially the ones from the 70s and 80s and there's nothing explicit on them sort of sexy art and then you know when you get into the 90s and 2000s like things get more graphic because they were all hidden in adult rooms. They weren't on marquees. They weren't, you know, at movie theaters. They were hidden behind closed doors where you had to be 18 to get access to them. So you start getting more kind of adult art there. So yeah, you're stuck. But my whole thing with Letterboxd was like, we need to be able to talk about these. Like there needs to be, if you're the app, you're the service for like cinephile discussions now, and you're like fostering this kind of community and like you've been a decade strong, like it's time to make these a part of the conversation and also i wasn't alone finally you know once like we started doing it and like other labels started putting them out and there was that conversation happening like more and more people wanted to log these and when you have as many people you know that buy from vinegar syndrome or buy from other companies you know like distrib picks is does great work the command video line you know movies like fantasex which was just mentioned you know, these, these Blu-rays are coming out and you have movie theaters like Nighthawk in, in New York and like Anthology Film Archives did like two different series on adult films. So you have like cinephiles in the New York City area attending screenings of these films. You have books being written about them. You have Blu-rays coming out with like commentaries and special features and 
it's time to acknowledge that they're part of the conversation and you can't just ignore it anymore. And I think it finally got to that point and it was just like, let's do this. <laughs> let's like take it on. And, you know, I was a part of it and we had a few other people on the team and it was great. You know, it was like a very diverse, like well-rounded team that we all kind of put together this list that we made as wide ranging as we could, you know, from the seventies through the, the 2010s. Like it wasn't, when we were started doing it, you know, I think the intention originally was kind of have it be like classic. Like, you know, these are classic films. These are like seventies, eighties, whatever. But it's like, that doesn't tell the whole story. You know, you have to kind of acknowledge that, you know, films were being made after that. And unfortunately, you know, the nineties is kind of a dark time for, for adult cinema. You know, it's, it's not a great time. You have like, you know, vivid companies like that, or you have like Pam and Tommy Lee sex tape. Like these are your, your kind of cultural touchstones in the nineties of like what adult cinema was for, for the most part. But going into the two thousands, the, the really exciting thing you start seeing happen is that the people making adult films become way more diverse. You know, that's where like the feminist porn boom comes in. People of color are making adult films a lot more. And, you know, there's a lot more like um, kind of queer porn that's being made accessible. You know, of course, like Wakefield Pool and um, Arthur Bresson. And so they were making movies decades earlier, but the amount of people who have access now and have a platform now is drastically different. And to marginalize that even further than it already is seemed unfair. So we were able to include that stuff. And then one of the things I really wanted to do, and I think, you know, when you get into kind of the conversation of, of sort of gateway into adult cinema and, you know, as much as I want to be like, watch a Vinegar Syndrome movie, that's the best place to start. To me, one of the best places to start with somebody who's like a total rube, you know, somebody comes in, they're like, I like Marvel movies. I like Star Wars. The best place to start is to watch the parodies. You know, and it's, I think as, you know, kind of like archivists and historians and stuff, we're, we're often like, oh, who wants to watch Captain Marvel Triple X? Like, why would you want to watch that? And it's like, of course they want to watch it. They loved Captain Marvel. And they, they want to see if they can get into this. So like, go to a place that's comfortable. You know, it's always about comfort. And some of those are actually really funny and like, they're really entertaining. And I had done, back when I was like presenting at, at conferences and stuff, one of my focuses was like porn parodies. Like that's a thing I used to present on a lot and kind of like the idea of like a cultural currency and that like fandom, you know, when you look at like kind of fan art and like fan films, that all comes through because you watch these like on Pornhub, especially there's this company Wood Rocket and they make porn parodies. And these are all made by people who are fans. Like it's basically horny fan fiction. And it's just, it's, you know, people getting up in cosplay and they just like do their thing. They write like a narrative that has to do with characters they love and they just do it. And they, it's pretty grassroots and you know, you get more into like the Axel Braun stuff and then it's a lot more big budget, but it's still a fan film. Like it's all fan fiction. And that was something that I was like, really like, we need to include this stuff. And people are logging them. I mean, the, there's one, I haven't even seen it, but the Grease porn parody, people apparently love it. What? <laughs> Writing down. So I'll have to watch it. <laughs> the, the first thing I ever saw, and I was a very like, you know, lots of Jesus in my life. So a very sheltered kid. Did you come uh, from a small town, Will? No. <laughs> He's making fun of me because I struggle sometimes in conversations 
uh, not to mention that I'm from a very small town. Uh, so anyway, in my tiny, small, Jesus-infused town in Southern Illinois, uh, the first time I ever saw pornography was the Bear Wench Project. Yes. <laughs> yep. In wow. a perfectly un-PC moment of uh, pre-pubescent slash pubescent boys in a room. Because I remember my friend called me and he was like, you have to come over today. We're all going to hang out. You know, and it was a Saturday. That's what we always did. So I came over. But when I got there, there were a lot more people than usual. And he was like, my dad rented something on paper. <laughs> my and dad's he, having a stag party. You guys are yeah. and, he, and he's working today. Uh, so we're going to watch it. And he said to me, he was like, <laughs> I already watched it last night. He was like, even a gay dude would get hard. Like, <laughs> yeah, Bear Wench Project, you know, so fan, we love fan fiction. That's the, the moral of the story. There's sequels to that too. There's uh, the sequels, uh, Book of Boobs, The Bear Wench 2. <laughs> kept the title convention the same. They really, they really thought about it. Uh, That's really funny that the Bear Wench Project, I don't, I can't think of any other like porn parodies of that time that's like stuck out to me, but the Bear Wench Project, like that name, got around i recall that, like that fred Owen ray i think might have made because then there was lord of the g-strings like there was that whole series like around then uh-huh there was a bunch of those like prune raider yeah 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 <laughs> yep. yeah yep wow it's well, yeah, it, it, it took off if my friend's dad was watching it you know so he's just working at like a fucking uh skidoo like skidoo factory like he was like he was the dude that uh tested boats to see if they could flip like he was the stunt driver essentially. Whoa. And yeah, on his days off, he would just, I remember, because he would just get wasted in his recliner drinking so much beer, like just a 30 rack next to him, and just have porn on. Respect. Yep, that's what he did. But if it may, if Bear Winch Project made it to him again in the very small town that I grew up in, you know, <laughs> it was successful. <laughs> Bear Winch Project, that was a hit. That was universal. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good time. And then, yeah, and then shit like nine songs came out. <laughs> Thank God we took it away. Are you shit on Winterbottom, man? Come I'm on. absolutely talking shit on Winterbottom. <laughs> well, what's the, uh, what's the, where do, where do we go from here? Because I know when you, when you announced initially, um, there were talk of waves, if I'm getting it correctly, right? As you add more and more films to this. Um, is there, is there like an end point in sight? Um, you know, like what is I guess I guess what I'm asking is is Nalen Palin on there? <laughs> it might be soon. That's it is on my list of things to add. So. <laughs> and then yeah. there's all the sequels, like Obama's Nalen Palin. And, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I didn't know that they brought Obama as a character in China. I gotta check that one out. Oh, Obama is quite represented in modern pornography. I'm, oh, I, oh man, I bet he is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Think about that. Yeah, I bet that's a whole multiverse out there. <laughs> we probably won't dip too much into it, but you know, gotta get sequels there, dude. Is there is there any point you're stopping at though? I would say, like, we're how do you get how do you guys as a team decide what constitutes being a film versus what is content? So there's no like I don't think there's a stopping point because movies will always be made. So you yeah. know it's and we we're including contemporaries. So as long as people are making movies and like they make sense to include, you know, we will include them. But 
we are doing feature films. Um, so there's, we're not going to go and add like some Pornhub clip, you know, it's not, that's not what we're doing. So they do have to be feature in structure. Like it needs to be, you know, not just feature length, but like narrative features. So we're not including like, you know, someone's gonzo DVD of like big butts or whatever it is. Like we're not, you know, it's not that kind of, there's all those, you know, you go into like, if you go on like DVD, adult DVD empire or something like any of these kind of marketplaces where you buy like what still gets put on DVD for adult content. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of it is just these like multi-volume sets that are just vague and yeah. I mean, maybe not vague, you know exactly what you're getting. But <laughs> yeah. generic, I guess is the, the best word. They're just like generic <laughs> compilations yeah. of like, yeah. like they're not, you know, there's no need to include, like people don't need to log that. I think if you want to log that, you should get a notebook and be weird. But it's, <laughs> I saw that shit even as a middle schooler and or like high school or whatever. And was like, this isn't even hot. This is kind of, <laughs> I, I should find anything hot. And I'm, this is like gross. <laughs> I had one that I bought my friend who turned 18 above us got one of those and it was called coming down the chimney <laughs> and it was all Santa Claus related porn and I just remember thinking like I don't know I just remember there was like one shot of the dude and his ass and it was like all sweaty and I was just like I think I'm good like this is about the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. I like that a sweaty ass is what really makes you draw your lines. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it was, I just recall, it was like, it's like, you know, the ass hair was like wet and like twit. It was just like, ugh. <laughs> God, there's gotta be a better angle. And like the women at it do not, are not like, you can just see the scars and you're just like, this is depressing. I don't want to watch this. <laughs> well we will not be including coming down the chimney so i think you know, so anybody who's hoping to log it will we'll just have to do so on their own yep you can <laughs> just do what i did every year up to this point in the comment section on you know the list for my all the movies i've watched in a year i put not listed fuck you letterbox that's what yeah. it is <laughs> i'm gonna have an i'm gonna have a rival list it's gonna have coming down the chimney uh another one i remember called i can't believe it's nut butter <laughs> um those are the only ones i remember but i literally see your list uh, there's a place we really stop you know it's as far as the like what's a film versus content you know i think that's kind of the line in the sand is like narrative features um but you know there's people who really want like hentai i just i don't have the bandwidth like i just don't like i don't i don't think any of us really do you know that's like a slippery slope that i just don't literally yeah and it's just, yeah, I mean, there's things in there that are just not things I want to deal with and I'm not about to watch it and justify like, you know, what's good or not. So I'm not, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to cook octopus, okay? <laughs> it's a dark, dark area. It's like, there's things that I'm like, I yeah. will advocate for anyone watching what they want to watch, but I'm not, I'm not going to be the person that goes, you can find a hente like expert and hire him, but it's not yeah. me. <laughs> So yeah, that's, you know, that I feel like that's kind of the like last hurrah is, you know, if somebody wants to tackle that, but I don't think anybody does. I feel like, you know, the most of the people that want to have anything to do with that are like doing so in secret or they're just talking about it on Reddit or whatever, but yeah. I don't know. It's not, you know, maybe there's, I like some anime, but I'm also not a big anime person. So it's just, it's something I'm so unfamiliar with that mm-hmm. I can't really begin to, to talk about it or justify like what the canonical important titles might be 
but that's really the only thing I think we haven't, you know, kind of touched on. Like everything else is really in there. You know, there's certain things we won't include just based on legality reasons. Um, you know, like certain films with maybe underage performers that weren't known at the time or like anything that involves animals, you know, things like that, that, mm. you know, are unfortunate things that exist that I don't really want to have anything to do with. Um, so, you know, those are, as far as, you know, like if there's anything we would censor, like that's kind of where we've drawn the line. Um, but yeah, there, there's going to consistently be titles added. There's titles that are just being added. You know, it's not, we kind of said like in waves, but it was really like we dropped the initial list and things just keep getting added. I've been adding things like every week. So there's already more titles, including the Scooby-Doo porn parody, which was added recently. Yes. Oh, I've seen that one. <laughs> actually really fun. There's got to, I don't know. I just feel like there's probably one definitive one, but I feel like there's probably like 40 or 50 clips I've seen of like someone dressed up as Velma. <laughs> I don't know if it's the same movie, but. You can just admit that that whole DVD shelf we can see behind you is only Scooby-Doo porn parody. All Scooby-Doo porn. It's all <laughs> Scooby-Doo. And just the Monsters Unleashed is in there too. Anything, one of the last things we like to do on here uh, before we depart does not need to be porn, does not need to be anything. Uh, we just always love to ask, is there anything you've watched, whether new or something old that you've just discovered um, lately that really lit your shit on fire? Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. I actually haven't been watching as much as I usually do because- Because you're fucking busy. What did I, what did I watch recently that I really, um, I've been re-watching a lot of stuff. So I think I've, I've more so been watching stuff I've seen before that, I really love and don't think it's enough recognition or things that I watched and thought I hated and now like, like I recently rewatched um, Wes Craven's My Soul to Take. Mm. Yes. I, love I remember it. thinking it was like a giant piece of shit and it's actually great. Yeah. yeah. Really good. Yeah. I love yeah. that movie. My Soul to Take is so fucking bonkers. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was reminded to watch it because I watched, when I watched Malignant, I was like, when was the last time like anybody kind of did something like this in like a wide release horror movie? And it was like the last thing I could remember being like that insane was my soul to take. It was like, maybe I should rewatch it. And rewatching it, I was like, this is nuts. Like the fact that Wes Craven like wrote and directed this, there's not a single celebrity in it. And <laughs> it is acted and scripted like a student film. Like you feel like you're watching a student film but it's from like this industry veteran and it's really weird because then you know the next year he does scream four which is the total opposite it's like super polished you know it's got like a cast that everybody recognizes and my soul to take almost feels like like a, a debut movie it's weird yeah and he's kind of running through his old tropes you know at the same time and it, it it's it, yeah there is something that feels very otherworldly about that because he's like I guess he's kind of working in the like shocker and Freddy Krueger guy is, you know, this killer, but he's just, he just looks like beefcake Rob Zombie. And you know, <laughs> it's really cool to see a guy like work through a kind of movie like this. Cause one thing that always is so strange about that movie is t like the hierarchical tiers that are happening within the high school how they have like this whole set system that like governs the school is so, so weird. I don't know what he was trying to get at there. 
Yeah, I don't know. Like the the relationships between all the teenagers are baffling, and they also, like every other you know movie star featuring teens from that time, they all look like they're like twenty five. It's like a bunch of twenty five year olds, like that all are have the same birthday, and they're just yeah. Like they, there's that one dude who just like picks on everybody else. And it's like not even cool. He's just like a total fucking buffoon. And it makes no sense because usually in any one of those movies, like kind of the alpha male is like built up as being like an alpha male, but this guy just comes off like a total idiot. Like, he yeah. doesn't even popular. He just he has that weird relationship. There's like the there there's a girl in the movie that she like hires him to beat people up or something. Yeah. And her name is Fang, by the way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It's just like they have that weird point system. It's like, oh, this guy's an eight and this one's a three. And then he goes and like punches people based on a number that she like designates to. It makes no sense. And there's no like explanation for why this is a thing or like how it came to be. It's just like dropped into the middle of it. It's so disorienting. The whole movie is disorienting. Oh. And then there's all the bird shit. Like the bird yeah. stuff is just like, I've learned more about that damn bird from that movie than I ever heard anywhere else in my life. Yeah, the bird scene's great. I love that scene. <laughs> he just sh- shoots that shit all over the kids in the class. And... <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's weird. And then it has these like moments of like, it's like doing all this weird shit. And then like, it'll have these moments where it almost stops and catches itself. Like the scene where the guy's like, the two kids, one, one of the kids at the end of the movie comes through the window and he's they're trying to figure out if one of them who how the killer is manifesting and he just has that line where he's like i wish people would just stop killing people like we should stop doing this and it is kind of silly how but then it like i I think when i rewatched it it just hit me on a level this time and it was like it was like a real like there was like a it was like a weird poignant moment in this absolutely batshit movie I honestly, I, I, I couldn't be happier that that's our, <laughs> that was your answer, and that that's our closer. <laughs> mm-hmm. And just like Justin, Oscar bait listeners with revisiting my soul to take, you can also do this with shit like American Sniper. So well, don't just remember, don't and that's the show, and it's been great having everyone. <laughs> you fucking ruined a pure moment <laughs> with your jingoism. <laughs> well hey anyway justin truly thank you so much for doing this with us you know if you want to also if you're you know if you want to uh talk about anything upcoming you're excited about all that anything you're working on feel free to yeah i mean the i think the big thing you know we all have coming up of course is we have black friday which is our big you know kind of sale that we do and this year it's gonna be huge we have the pre-order is coming up on the 24th so there's some really cool stuff in there. The the big exciting one for that month is uh, Flesh for Frankenstein, yes. 3D and 4K. So it's insane. You know, <laughs> so I think you know we're we're extremely excited about it. I'm extremely excited about it. Um, and then one of the other things that we're doing in there too is we just launched something called VSP, which is Vinegar Syndrome Pictures. And so we have this this awesome new movie, well, new old movie called New York Ninja, which you know is this unearthed 80s movie that was never completed. And we had all the camera rolls in our archive and we recently cut it together, you know, like a couple of years in the making, cutting this thing together. There was no sound elements. So we had to get all new sound done, you know, new new score. And then we had 
actors like Don the Dragon Wilson, Cynthia Rothrock, <laughs> Leon Isaac Kennedy, Michael Berryman all come in and do the voices for it. So that's premiering at Beyond Fest in LA on October 2nd. And then there'll be a disc release later this year. And I'm um, really excited about that. And then the other VSP title that I've been working closely on is uh, this new movie called Censor, which is like about the video nasty era. And we're putting that out on UHD, a ton of supplements, I'm super excited about that. So yeah, a lot, of, a lot of fun, exciting things to come out of vinegar syndrome, which those are all part of vinegar syndrome, but then OCN is kind of wall to wall titles coming up. So it's, it's gonna get really busy. Um, very excited for people to see what's in store for OCN, especially going into next year where there's gonna be a lot of releases uh, every month. So it's, if uh, people think we, you're seeing a lot now, there's a lot more to come soon. And again, thank you so much, Justin. Um, you know, we hope you had a good time. Hope to have you back on again in a future season. You're, you know, you're doing incredible shit. So there'll always be stuff to talk about, but uh, yeah, thanks for uh, doing what you do further in the cause and uh, getting rid of all these fucking gay people. Thanks for having me.